Please be seated. There are some of you, I'm sure, who remember Pat Burdett. For years before she died, she sat in the same seat in the chapel at the 8 a.m. service every Sunday morning. She always saved the seat next to her for her husband, Bird, who had preceded her into glory. I never saw her sit anywhere else in the chapel, and I never saw anyone sit in that chair that she saved for Bird. Until one morning in the early fall, six or seven years ago, about ten minutes before the start of the service, a verger came into the vesting room all aflutter. Someone is sitting in Pat's seat. What? Someone is sitting in Pat's seat. She's not here yet. I'm really afraid of what's going to happen when she gets here. We peeked around the corner of the chapel. Sure enough, there was a young woman in jeans and a sweater and a tie sitting there in Pat's seat. We had a situation brewing. You don't mess with the seating arrangements of old school Episcopalians at the right one 8 a.m. service. You don't do it. So we waited with bated breath as Pat arrived. She walked into the chapel, paused for a moment, and sat in the row right behind her usual spot with a seat saved for Bird right next to her. Now, because we are Episcopalians and liturgical drama is a way of life, we were sure this was not going to be the end of the episode. And we were right. After the service, I saw Pat and the young woman talking. When she looked up and saw me, Pat rushed over and introduced introduced me, saying, This is my new friend. He is a freshman at Georgia Tech. I was just telling him how glad we are to have him here. And then Pat went and bought the young woman breakfast in Ellis Hall. I saw her later that morning, this young woman, and welcomed her. I mumbled an apology. I'm sorry, I think your tie might have thrown her off a little bit. Wide-eyed, she answered me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even a little bit. I have been in and out of churches my whole life, and I have never had... Such a warm and wonderful welcome. Your hospitality here is amazing. She came to two more services that morning, and she came back the next week and the next week. You know, we preachers, when we come on a story like the prodigal son, we like to find that new and interesting, different angle that you've never heard before. We look and we study and we try to figure out something to say that you haven't heard yet. I tried that this year, and I didn't find anything that compelled my heart as much as the traditional reading of this story. My heart is lifted this time around by the reminder that maybe I needed, and I hope you do as well, that wherever I wander off, Whatever trouble I get into, God will be there when I return. Because the story of the prodigal son, I believe, is entirely misnamed. 
The son in the story is, of course, important, but it is from the actions of the father that we learn where we stand in the family of God. That wayward son, he travels to hell and back, publicly wishing his father dead, separating himself from the family with every vice imaginable. He ends up destitute and living with animals that his culture deems ritually unclean. The child has to travel the long road home simply in order to survive, ditching whatever dignity he has left on the side of the road in preparation for whatever his father might choose to do with him. But when the father sees his son, the one that everyone gossiped about, the one that hurt him so badly, the one that exploited the family fortune and may have even besmirched the family name, that son, when the father sees that son, He doesn't wait in his chair on the porch for the child to come to him. He doesn't wait for a proper explanation. He doesn't wait for an apology. He gets up and he runs. He runs down the road to greet his child. He hugs him and he kisses him. When the son tries to offer his practiced speech, He is soundly ignored and instead draped in all of the pyramids of familial ownership, clothing and rings and shoes, and then he is claimed. This son of mine, says his father, this child of mine. This child received an overflowing measure of love and forgiveness. And we can speculate all day long about whether or not the younger son really is changed now or if he will stick around only long enough to fill his belly before going back to his old wayward ways. I hope he doesn't, but it doesn't really matter. He has now experienced grace in the form of a bottomless love and an opening, welcoming arms. One of the multiple messages of the story of the forgiving father is that God doesn't care why you are here. God cares that you are here. God doesn't care where you have been. God cares that you are here now. God doesn't care how long you've been gone away. God just cares that you are back now. I say these things that with the possibility that some of you, when you hear the word that God doesn't care how long you've been gone or where you have been, you will take this opportunity to take off again. That's fair. If God doesn't care so long as I eventually come back, then why should I bother sticking around? I imagine the wayward son contemplated this just a few days after his return. Farm work is hard after all. That's fine. Go with our blessing. This church community will miss you, and we will hold you in our hearts until you return. But there are good reasons to stay. God will always welcome you back if you leave. But if you you stay, you are assured the presence of God all the time, 
all around you in the faces of these good people here. If you stay, you get community. You get meals when you are sick. You get someone to hold your crying baby when you need a break. You get to serve and you get to be served. You get concern and hope. You get connection and you get challenge. You get love. You have to work for it, but you get it here. You get the satisfaction of knowing that you are accompanied on this journey, that you are never alone. If you stay, you will become one of those pairs of open arms that welcomes the stranger and the wayward son. You will become a finder of lost things. And maybe you too will become found. If you stay, all this, says God, is yours. Pat Burdett's leading that young woman off to breakfast remains for me one of the dearest images of the body of Christ at work. And it is one that I will hold in my heart for the rest of my life. Over the next few years, that young person became a part of our parish family while walking an important and difficult journey of faith, negotiating complex family relationships, and fundamental changes of personal identity. Time after time, God's arms in the form of this community were open in that journey. And this became home, safe and challenging and welcoming and loving and loved. That which was lost was found, and there was great rejoicing in the kingdom. There are plenty of rings and robes and sandals. There are plenty of fatted calves in God's world. God will celebrate lavishly the return of every single prodigal child. The festivities will never run dry, nor will the grace that makes them possible. But there is also plenty of room if you want to stay. Room to sit and eat in the feast of the community of faith that uplifts and supports each other. The community that takes care and reminds each other of our belovedness every chance we get. In this community, in the body of Christ, we hear God's voice and we echo it back around our community over and over in our thoughts and our words and our actions. This child of mine says that voice. This child of mine. Amen. Amen.